Hello, Paradox Podcast listeners. This is another of our speaker preview podcasts for our upcoming Free Speech and Medicine Conference in Bedeck, Nova Scotia, coming up on October 28th to 30th. When the pandemic first hit, most docs I knew were very nervous. I was very nervous. We were watching catastrophic news stories coming out of northern Italy, then New York City. Some of us quickly figured out that the corporate media was not giving us a full picture. Maybe because they never really do. Maybe because there was an agenda to create compliance through fear. In any case, by April of 2020, it was already apparent that this was a disease mainly of concern for elderly and infirm people. Most deaths were in nursing homes. Peds hospitals remained largely empty, and in fact, some were commandeered to house adult patient overflow. Average age of a COVID death was around 80, and the vast majority of those were quite unwell. But somehow, it was a firing offense to mention that children were at very low risk. I was attacked on social media for stating this, with my detractor saying, you're minimizing the risk. All I had stated was a verified statistic. A healthy child has far less chance of dying with COVID than they do of dying in a car crash. Yet we've created a climate where many parents are so terrified of COVID, they will, get, they will greatly restrict their children's activities, activities that might have great benefits. Yet these same parents will take their kids on a Sunday drive for no particular reason. Despite the minimal risk to children, we lock them in their homes. We shut down their sports, their music, their social activities. Some neighbors called the snitch line if too many kids were playing in the backyard. We poured sand in skateboard parks, we put plywood over basketball nets, and we arrested young people for playing pond hockey. We shut down schools, and when we did let them back, we forced them to mask all day. More than two years on, there are those who are still calling for restrictions. Just a couple of days ago, Kieran Moore, medical officer of health in Ontario, threatened that mask rules may be coming back if we don't all behave ourselves. Martha Fulford has been a voice of reason since the beginning of the pandemic. She saw the full picture before most of us. She saw that lockdown would be harder on kids and that school closures would be a catastrophic mistake. She saw that universal masking had serious negative effects and minimal or no benefit. But unlike many with these concerns, she spoke out and she continues to speak out. And she'll speak out once again at our freespeechandmedicine.com conference in Bedeck. I thank Dr. Fulford for coming back on the podcast. Many of you will remember that she was one of two infectious disease specialists to join me to talk about monkeypox and give us a full picture of that. She has the auspicious title of being the first ever repeat guest on the Paradox podcast. Um, anyway, Martha's back. Martha will be one of our featured speakers at the Free Speech and Medicine Conference. You can check it out at freespeechandmedicine.com and I hope you consider coming or joining online. Uh, we have a great group of speakers and Martha is one of those. So I wanted to give you a little teaser about Martha, who she is and what she's going to speak about. So uh, Martha, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for asking. Um, so firstly, yeah. So who are you? Where are you from? What did you mostly do because you recently retired and yeah tell us about that well I have a bit of a varied background I uh, worked overseas for quite a few years in southern Africa I was two years in Lesotho and uh, three and a half years in Zimbabwe uh, doing actually uh, education and training projects and it was from Zimbabwe that I actually returned to Canada to go to medical school and uh 
fell in love with infectious diseases. At the time of my training, uh, infectious diseases was just that. There was no such thing as pediatric versus adult infectious diseases. Uh, we are not a system-based subspecialty. We see anybody from you know any age group or any subspecialty who may, who, who may have an infection. And the last uh, almost 20 years, I guess, I was in Hamilton at Hamilton Health Sciences at the uh, McMaster University Medical Center, which then later became the McMaster Children's Hospital doing predominantly pediatric infectious diseases, as well as uh, actually um, obstetrical and gynecological infections because the hospital is actually a women's and children's hospital. Mm -hmm. All right. So you, you were a peds infectious disease person when COVID hit. I was. Mm -hmm. And like, like many doctors who will be at the conference, you sort of, can I say you uh, ran afoul of some of the standard ideas in the profession in 2020, 2021? Is that a fair way to put it? It's probably a fair, a fair um, way to put it. What uh, I spoke out actually very early, I think the first time I uh, went public uh, with reservations uh, with regards to what we were doing was actually an op-ed that I was one of four co-authors on that was published in the National Post in May of 2020, uh, arguing against lockdowns. And uh, of course, the situation has become so polarized, it's very difficult to ever have any kind of a balanced or nuanced conversation. But my position was and remains that in uh, any sort of an emergency, whether it be a pandemic or anything else, that the focus needs to be total harm minimization. And, uh, you know, in, in medicine, it goes back to looking after all aspects of, of physical and mental health. It's a pretty standard definition of health. You know, it's a state of physical, mental, social well-being. It's not just the absence of a disease. And it was pretty clear, anybody working in a hospital, certainly in a pediatric hospital, by the summer of 2020, that it wasn't COVID that was hurting children. It was the, our response to COVID that was hurting children. And we were seeing really marked and significant collateral damage. And I, I was arguing and, and continue to say that what we need to do is you know, basically return to core public health measures, uh, which is looking after all aspects of public health. Uh, and and I, I keep coming back to total harm minimization. So we look after the health and well-being of, of the society, of every aspect of the society. Uh, and so our approach with seniors who were very vulnerable to COVID would be very different than our approach to children. And our responsibility as a society, I feel, should have been to look after, you know, to have policies that were targeted to children to look after their well-being as best we could. Uh, and obviously, and I think a lot of people are coming around now to, to acknowledging that school closures were a catastrophic mistake, that isolating children, that canceling all activities and social activities and access to, to sports and extracurriculars has, has been profoundly damaging and is going to be probably generations um, of children affected. And those are the kids we see. I mean, we have you know tens of thousands of children that are just lost to the system now. We, you know, it's not that they're true; they're just gone. Hmm. And these are kids that maybe what was keeping them in school was whether it be a 
know, one adult they respected, maybe it was a sports, maybe it was a music, their drama, but without anything to keep them in school and with, with you know, the environment in the schools made so, uh, you know, unspeakably unpleasant, particularly in places like Ontario, mm. we've just lost all these kids. And so I, my position has always been, of course, COVID was real, and, uh, we, but we should have had a balanced and targeted approach. Uh, we, we should have followed standard pandemic management plans and, and instead we didn't we we did this um mm -hmm. we did these lockdowns mm -hmm. right well we we could talk for hours about that but i i want to sort of stay focused on you and um what what do you think gave you the strength to speak out when so many doctors either didn't consider that there was two sides to things like lockdown mass school closures or even if they did, many of them were afraid to speak out. Many of them still are afraid to speak out. So what made you okay with it? What is it about you? I mean, you know, when I first was speaking to my husband and some sort of close friends, I remember saying, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I'll get fired. Uh, and the other thing I said is I have to live with myself. I mean, what I, to me, what was happening was just wrong. It was fundamentally and profoundly wrong. Uh, you, you don't harm massive parts of your society and your economy and the social structure. Um, and I, I, I guess I, all I can say is, you know, I made the decision I had to live with myself. Uh, and, you know, there, there are, you know, lots of different quotes, but they all come down to um, versions of to be silent is to be complicit. Mm. And, you know, and I know it, you know, that's my perspective. I appreciate that there are the people who agreed fully uh, with what we're doing. But I also know there are a great many people who, who were quietly unhappy, who would actually thank me for speaking out, but would also say they were too scared. And uh, you know, I, 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 hope, I hope that we have uh, looked back, that there are inquiries into, into our approach and honest ones. Uh, I hope that uh, you know, they're very... Um, honest uh, inquiries into what we did to children and to young people because it, it should it must never happen again I mean what we've done is terrible and I think I can say that with even more confidence than I would have been saying it two years ago mm -hmm. because we can look around the world to places that did not do this mm -hmm. and, and this is one of the really important things and, and one of the things I never understood was why there was this utter and complete refusal to have conversations um, and debate. I mean, just debate and discussion and pros and cons and, and just open, honest conversations, which is what we're supposed to be able to do mm. about different approaches. Why in Europe, the vast, um, most of the countries in Europe either didn't close schools like Sweden or only closed them for very, very short periods of time and then opened them because their priority was on the health and well-being of their children. And it's not hard to look at those countries and realize that their outcomes are by no means any worse and probably better than our outcomes. And certainly the future for the children is, is astronomically different. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I mean, well, I, I really hope that we were able to have honest conversations about, about uh, our response. Right. Well, you certainly sound like a crazy, radical, right-wing grandma killer to me. Martha, when you say that, um, it, no, it's it really... an interesting, you know, politically, I always thought I was on the, um, you know, very, um, almost, yeah, I guess you would say socialist, like I'm very strong into sort of, you know, social programs and quality and, uh, 
ensuring that we look after those who are the most marginalized in our society. Uh, I've you know spent a huge amount of my life volunteering. I used to uh, even up until COVID, I would still spend a you know a month a, a year working uh, in Southern Africa um, because it just felt like it, it, it's all these are all the sort of the fundamental beliefs that I had in, in how we should um, treat others, and so it's been unusual in the last two years to uh, realize that I'm now considered you know sort of can't see but as they're doing in quotation marks you know far right for mm -hmm. advocating for um total harm minimization yeah yeah well i i became the i'm an earring wearing vegetarian bicycle ride driving former green party guy now i'm a radical right wing too because of my yeah. views it's, it's a funny time yeah. um anyway. yeah it, it's it, the polarization is very unfortunate it, it is. I agree. And, and I think it detracts like you, you made a good pitch there for why we need free speech and debate. And that's what our conference is about and why I'm very happy to have you there. Um, so, you know, without stealing your own thunder, can you tell us in a, in a little nutshell what you plan to talk about at the conference? Well, I mean, probably what I've been trying to talk about for the last over two years, which is COVID and kids uh, and young people which is, you know, what what uh, did COVID do? I mean, I mean to have a, a real conversation, what is the impact of COVID on children? And uh, you know, we can, I might probably spend a little bit of time looking at the different variants, uh, as well as what the response has done to the to children. And I think this is really important, talking about the immune system of children and how they respond and, and what we know about natural immunity in children, because we know a fair bit now. Uh, and you know the, the pros and cons, the role of the vaccine for, for younger people, you know, who benefits, who may not benefit. And again, hopefully uh, an unbiased, you know, this is the evidence, this is the data, these are the study, what the studies have shown. Um, you know, I try not to take sides, particularly I try to make sure I've reviewed the evidence, looked at the studies. I spend a lot of time looking uh, at international work because I find it uh, in some ways sometimes more objective because it's uh, less politicized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right on. Well, uh, we really look forward to having you there. And, you know, just as maybe just uh, as a final thing, how do you think we ended up talking about the proper response to COVID as being the same for everyone in society and not differentiating adults from kids and elderly people from kids? And we just started talking about the risks of COVID as a, as a yeah. blanket risk that was the same for any everyone I, I found that strange because we don't usually do that with diseases but it seemed to happen no, no. yeah it, it's I, I don't actually understand um, and this is where I think that I, I'm hoping that we're able to as a society uh, have honest conversations about about what happened because one size fits all medicine is is never the right answer um, you know we, we've known forever that some infections will affect different age groups in different ways we've known forever that um that if you're immunocompromised, if you are, are very frail, if you've got certain um, underlying medical conditions, you're going to be more vulnerable. And you know, we learned very quickly uh, with, with viruses. In this case, um, it was very evident by May, June of 2020 that this was a disease. Um, okay, everybody might be able to be exposed to COVID, but it was a disease of the frail and the elderly uh, people who were obese were at higher risk. There were certain other conditions we identified, but it was very clear very early on uh, who was most at risk. And this is where sort of targeted protection 
would be the normal strategy. It certainly would have been the normal strategy used in any pandemic management plan that we had prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be targeted protection where you identify, you know, sort of who's most vulnerable. You do your best to protect them. You look at minimizing transmission of disease. But in that sense, and while you're doing that, knowing what you know, you also, of course, try to build capacity to deal with any uh, surge in your healthcare system. And while you're doing that, you're not supposed to destroy the fabric of your society. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are sort of pretty core pandemic management. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, these are the, the, sort of the core elements of any pandemic management plan prior to COVID. And so why we, we went the direction we did with this sort of thinking that everybody was equal risk and, and as a result, having these, these really onerous and damaging policies, I, I honestly don't understand. And it has to be pointed out, not everybody did this. Uh, And this is where I think uh, going forward, that instead of demonizing each other, and instead of having these polarized conversations, we need to say, okay, what were the outcomes in these countries? And and that means excess mortality, of course, what, what happened in Canada, versus this place in the US or that place in the US versus Sweden versus the other Norwegian or Norway or the other Scandinavian um, countries versus mm-hmm. other parts in Europe. And quite frankly, we should be honest about what happened in less developed countries. Uh, the impact in, in poor countries was actually not very severe and it's probably because uh, you know, there are a lot of, of reasons for that, not the least of which they're probably much younger populations. Mm-hmm. But if we don't do that, it, it will have learned nothing and, and that leaves open um, the same disaster again if, if we're from confronted with another uh, health emergency. Right. Great. Well, you know, that's a, maybe that's a good way to wrap it up. I'll bring it back around to it just shows you the importance of free speech and open conversation and medical matters. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think that, and this is when you asked me to speak, I was um, very happy to accept because open conversations and open dialogue and respectful uh, com- debate with, from different positions is, is, is absolutely fundamental and critical in, in medicine and science and any way we move forward. And to not have that is, I think it's a dangerous path to go down to not allow free speech. Lovely. Well, that is a great note to end on. So Martha Fulford, thank you very much. Uh, I'll, I'll plug again to say, uh, if you want to come listen to Martha in person, ask her questions in person, get to shake her hand, or maybe even just uh, just join us online, second best, but still good. Uh, check out freespeechandmedicine.com. And we hope you join us for our conference at the end of October coming soon. Thanks again.